0: It's also my privilege to introduce to you our speaker tonight and our speaker tonight is the Reverend Dr. Rob Reamer. His passion, many of you know him, um, but his passion, I wrote it down, is to see the kingdom of God advance through spiritual renewal and so he does this in several different ways. The first way is that he's founder and president of Renewal International and so he works with pastors, leaders, and at churches here and internationally to equip the people of god to live in freedom to walk in the power and the fullness of the holy spirit he's also written several books some of which you're familiar with and that's how he spreads this renewal around he also speaks regularly in conferences and um, and is used by god there and he's associate professor of pastoral theology here at alliance theological seminary he is also a graduate of Alliance Theological Seminary, and so if you wonder if you're going to do anything with your life uh, after you graduate from ATS, he, he is an example to you. So please help me welcome Dr. Robert Greenberg. Well.
1: You know, some talks that I give, I'm really giving the talk for the sake of the audience, and then there's other talks that you give. And uh, there's some talks you give that come out of your developing experiences Not out of the ones you've already conquered out of the ones you're figuring out This one's one of those. So if you want to listen you can But I'm giving this talk because I'm figuring it out Um, I Have not always found contentment to come easy to me. I Have a feeling I know part of the reasons why Uh, the first reason why is quite frankly because I suffer from what I call the curse of the passionate First, let me start with this. I love passionate people. I love passionate people because passionate people are the ones that make a difference in the world. Passionate people get off their duffs and make something happen. So if you ever want to work with me or for me, you want to be a passionate person because I don't want anyone working for me who doesn't have passion. I don't want to ignite someone's passion. I want to find someone with passion and work with them. So I love passionate people. The problem with passionate people is they do suffer from what I call the curse of the passionate. You know what the curse of the passionate is? The more you expect out of life, the more you are disappointed by life. That's the curse of the passionate. The curse of the passionate is you always want to take the next hill. There's always more to accomplish. There's more to see. There's more to do. There's more to see happen around you to make a difference. You're never satisfied. And the curse of the passionate can rob you from your contentment. So that's what i was reading a passage recently which is a passage that's familiar to you and as i read this passage i thought yeah paul discovered something that i am better than i used to be but not where i want to be and i'm still figuring out he discovered how to be content in all things so i want to wrestle with that today in paul's life because i gotta tell you paul's not uh a person who lacks passion Paul is driven by his calling. But somehow or another, he's figured out contentment. And so I want to look at a passage in Philippians chapter 4. You can turn there if you want me with me. It's Philippians 4 10 to 13. He's specifically applying to this concept to finances. However, if you really study in the New Testament, you realize that's not where he lives it, just in finances. He lives it all over. So this is the passage. And of course you know the context the context he's in prison and you know this is a good church it's a really good church it's a church he's very fond of and he writes to them and this is what he says i rejoiced greatly in the lord that at last you renewed your concern for me indeed you were concerned but you had no opportunity to show it i am not saying this because i am in need for i've learned to be content whatever the circumstances There's a lot of stuff in the Bible I can read and, you know, sort of breeze by and pretend like he doesn't mean it. This is one I'd like to. But, you know, he sort of hammers it home a little more. He says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through whom who gives me strength. I want to wrestle first with this concept of why we lose our contentment. Because, you know, when I look at Paul's life, it's easy to look at this passage and see he's only applying it to finances. But you actually look at Paul's life, what you realize is this is Paul's life. The guy has figured out contentment. Well, let me just give you a couple other quick examples, right? I see Paul. He's super content in Ephesus, which is one of the greatest New Testament moves of the spirit that I know of. It's an absolute explosion of spiritual activity in Ephesus. The word of the Lord is rapidly advancing with supernatural power. He does extraordinary miracles, and the guy's content. You know what? That's pretty easy to be content in ministry when that's going on. But then he goes to places like Thessalonica, where he's there for three weeks, gets kicked out of town, run out of town, and he has no idea whether they're going to make it as a church or not make it as a church, and he's still content. I think about Paul's contentment when he's in favor with people. Sure, I mean, there's times where he has high favor, and he's content. But then there's times where he's getting creamed, beaten, literally, and imprisoned. And we find him rejoicing. The guy has learned a secret of contentment in any and every situation. It's not just about finances. So let me just ask two questions. Here's the first question that I want to ask of the text and of you and of me, and that is this, why do we lose our contentment? See, there is a contentment that is available to us in Christ that is consistent all the time available, but we lose it. Why? Why? And i'm just going to reflect on my own inner being because i'm wrestling with this you can apply it if you want to i don't care that's your life but let me give it to you ready here it is number one i lose my contentment sometimes because i make it too much about me let me go back and say that one more time i lose my contentment a lot when i make it too much about me let me say it slightly differently i cannot be content when I make it about me. I've discovered a secret in my relationship with my wife and here's the secret in my relationship in my, with my marriage. I am only miserable in my marriage when I'm making it too much about me. Do you realize I've never been miserable in my marriage if I'm focused on serving Jen, loving Jen, caring for Jen, meeting Jen's needs. I have never once in my marriage ever been miserable when I'm making it about Jen. The only time I've ever been miserable in marriage is when I'm making it too much about me. When I am miserable in marriage, this is what's running through my head. What about me? What about my wants? What about my needs? What about my desires? What about me? And every time I reduce life to what about me, I have to tell you, I am robbed of my contentment. And so, for me personally, one of my all-time favorite books is a book by Fenelon called Let Go. It is the book I've read more than any other except the Bible. Really should have just been entitled, just shut up and die. It would have been a way better title. You know, let go is a gentle pastoral approach, and Fenelon's a gentle pastoral guy. But really what he's calling you to is death to self. No one in the history of the church has understood death to self like Fenelon. And no one's ever understood the freedom death to self brings. There is no contentment without death to self. So that's one. I'll give you a second one, though. Sometimes I find myself miserable because I'm too attached to the temporal. The old-timers used to talk about detachment and attachment. They were talking about detaching from the things of this world so that you could thoroughly and deeply attach to the king and his kingdom. But if you get too attached to the temporal, you lose sight of the eternal. It's funny, though. This happens even in ministry. A number of years ago, when I was still pastoring, <clears throat> I, was, uh, I was preparing for a Christmas big event. And, and where I was, I was in New England, and so we had a lot, a lot of people that would come only to Christmas and Easter services. That was, you know, a huge outreach opportunity for us. And we were preparing for a crowd that probably would have been about, mm, probably seven, 800, maybe even a 1,000 seekers in the house this day. And so, I mean, we've got literally hundreds of volunteers that are involved in this process or preparing a service. We got, you know, people singing, obviously, and we got people that are doing, in this case, drama for this particular service. I prepare to talk. We've got, you know, all kinds of people parking, all this other stuff going on, right? And there's volunteers all over the place. Everybody's prepped, ready to go. We're closing in on this great weekend. I've been looking forward to it. We've been praying and fasting. And two days before we get there, all of a sudden there's a weather report. We're supposed to get a two-foot storm. So I pray and fast. I get people to pray and fast. My church, they knew how to pray and fast, man. We go praying fast, right? And we'd get dumped on. We'd get two feet of snow on Saturday night right into Sunday. I spent that entire Christmas Sunday shoveling snow in my driveway. I hate cold weather. It makes me miserable, okay? I'm out there shoveling snow, and I'm having it out with God. I'm like, you know, I care more about their salvation than you do. You could have at least stopped the weather. But somehow or another, Jesus doesn't lose his contentment even when services are canceled because of snow. I do. I can easily lose contentment when ministry doesn't go the way I want it to. But Jesus doesn't. But it's just a little too attached to the temporal sometimes. I'll give you one last thing that causes me sometimes to lose my contentment, and that is this. Sometimes I struggle with what I call hurried sickness. If my life is too fast-paced, I lose my contentment. But, you know, there's a reason for it, I think, and that is this. I I think most of the times our self-life, that is your self-protective, self-centered, self-reliant, self-dependent, selfish part of you, your self-life is most strongly formed around your deepest area of wounding. That is because where you're most deeply wounded as a kid, especially when you have repeated wounding as a kid, what you do is you fortify. You develop really strong walls to protect yourself because you realize no one else is going to protect you in this, so you must protect yourself. So you fortify extra fortification around that stuff, and that's where your self-life is really formed most high. The walls are strongest, and that's the place where God doesn't get access. And then what happens is we start to operate when, especially when we get too busy, we operate out of emptiness and not out of fullness. We operate out of our deprivations. And this happens to me all the time, man. So I realize that there's a part of me that sometimes I'm running too fast and I rob myself of my contentment because of the deprivations of my soul. In my case, I had a fear of not being loved. And sometimes I feel like I need to prove myself. I've gotten way better. Way better, but I still know it's with me sometimes. These are the things that rob me of my contentment. Here's the second question I wanna ask. How how do you live content all the time like Paul did? Well, you know, he tells us, he doesn't leave us in the dark. It's a ridiculous sentence, but it's there. So I'll give it to you. I can do all this, be content in good times and bad times, in plenty and in want. In any in every situation, in favor and in disfavor, in freedom and in prison, I can do all this through him who strengthens me. You see, here's Paul's thinking, it's not complicated in some ways, in other ways it's super mystical, because you're in a mysterious relationship with an eternal deity. But here's it is. What he's saying is, and you know this because you've read the bible and you know how paul loves this expression we are in christ and christ is in us that is his major theme it's your identity it's who you are and his concept is as long as your connection to jesus is solid you can live in contentment at all times why it's simple because jesus is always content jesus never wants for anything jesus never has emptiness jesus never operates out of emptiness or deprivation so when you are in christ and christ is in you and you are keenly connected his fullness flows to all your empty places and you can keep contentment at all time now don't get me wrong jesus has desires that are unmet but somehow or another he has desires that are unmet that don't rob him of his fullness so, for example, he, he desires that none should perish. That's in the scriptures. But even in his desire for no one to perish, his desire for no one to perish, please hear this, comes out of his fullness, not out of some deprivation in his soul. It comes out of the fullness of his compassion, not out of some empty place to be needed or to be a hero. See, so he doesn't need that. His desire to see people set forth Free. same thing it doesn't come out of this codependent pastoral need to be a hero it comes from the fullness that he has he doesn't want anyone to be in emptiness because he knows what fullness is so all of his desires that are unmet come out of fullness not out of emptiness are you tracking with me he doesn't have any emptiness so for me my problem is my self-life my earthly attachments my unholy desires Get me out of alignment with Jesus, they weaken this connection, and I'm operating out of my emptiness and not out of his fullness, and I start to lose my contentment. The key's connection. Let me close with a couple of thoughts for you. First, a story, and then a thought. My son, I have uh, three daughters and a son. My son's now 17. When he was a kid, he had a couple of tough bouts with water. He almost drowned on a couple of occasions. One was really bad. We had just moved into a new house, and the new house we moved into had an old in-ground pool. It was a piece of junk. We eventually removed it, but at the time it was still in the backyard. And so my kids are out there swimming. The daughters were, my my daughters are all older, and so he was the youngest by quite a bit, by three years uh, from the other uh, youngest sibling. And they're all on the deep end of the pool because they all know how to swim and he's in the shallow end all by himself and they're real loud just as they're playing with each other and they're having fun and they're yelling and screaming and laughing and and uh jen was out in the backyard gardening but she wasn't in the circle with them inside the chain link fence where the pool was and she looked over and she sees craig face down floating in the water and she did a super mom thing and jumped the fence Dove in the water, grabbed him out of the water, literally saved his life. Well, this kid had sheer terror of water. And I was trying to help him break it. This was years later. He's probably at this time five, six years old, you know, a few years down the road. And so I walked out with him one day into a lake. This lake that we were in, you know, was was perfectly still. It's very, very calm. But I'm holding him in my arms, and I'm walking out into the water. And the water's getting deeper on me. You know, when I first walk in, just his toes are wet, and he's cool with that, you know. And we're walking in a little deeper, and I'm bringing it up, you know. And he's now getting a little wet. But his head's, you know, pretty much at the level my head's at because I'm holding him. And I can feel his body tense, and he's stiffening, and he's starting to get struck with terror right and literally i'm walked in almost to my chest not quite and when i get that close the kid is climbing literally on top of my head just like trying to climb up on top of my head to get out of the water and i'm speaking to him and i said to him bud it's okay the water is not a threat to me i can walk out it won't overpower us we've got this But you see, he has this wound that goes way back to his childhood that terrifies him of water. No matter how I reason with him, his wounding keeps him from hearing. And for a lot of you, you know, you're out in the deep waters in some places in your life that are robbing you of contentment. But I'm going to help you. You ready? Hear me. It's not over Jesus' head. He's not threatened by the water. He's not threatened by the financial situation you're struggling with. He's not struggling with the marriage situation you're struggling with. He's not wrestling with the kid problems that you're wrestling with. He's not wrestling with the work problems you're wrestling with. He's not wrestling with the ministry problems you're wrestling with. Please hear me. None of it, none of it threatens his contentment. Because he has a fullness, not an emptiness. In your emptiness, you can rest in his arms. Because he's safe in the water, no matter how deep it gets. Let's pray God. Lord, for some of us, you know, we're in over our heads these days. And when we get in over our heads, sometimes, just like Craig, you know, we're climbing for dry ground. We're relying on all of our self ways to get ourselves out But all you really call us to do is to rest in your fullness you are full you're not empty you are content nothing robs you of contentment and when we stay deeply connected your contentment is ex- is, is available it's accessible to us i want to learn to live in contentment whatever the circumstances in plenty and in want. When relationships are all really good and when they're not. When ministry is incredibly fruitful and when it's really barren. I want to learn to live in Christ so deeply like Paul did that I can be content no matter what. Keeping the passion but not losing the contentment may be true of us. In Jesus name
0: Continuing in that spirit of prayer Just take a few moments and kind of close your eyes and put yourself in the story that Rob Stated Rob, the story that he told about Craig This time it's not Craig. It's you And you're facing something that you're incredibly afraid of and Your father is God yourself in that story? What does it look like? What does it feel like? How do you see God holding on to you and saying, and Jesus saying, it's not over my head. It's not over my head. arms and his head right next to my cheek and his legs all the way around my waist hold on like that we're desperate for God you can hold on like that in the same spirit would you uh, kind of reach your hands out I want to bless you you can stand if you want you can make eye contact with me if you want you can keep your eyes closed it's up to you i to read a little bit of the, the passage to which it was, refer, was, was referred to. Friends, you know what it is to be in plenty. And you know what it is to be in want. And I bless you to learn, to do well and to fail, because we learn the most when we fail. To learn what it is to be content in plenty to learn what it is to be content in need. I bless you to be on that path, to keep going step by step as you receive the connection with God and you receive the contentment with God. I bless you with that in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.